Again, we are so thankful to see everybody here today. Hope that you're having a great day. And if anybody wants, again, to have their picture made and you don't have your son here or daughter, Matt Hogan is going to get their picture made with you today. Just make sure you go outside and he's going to be uh, with my family. Micah is in Nashville at Impact. And so um, Matt's going to substitute for Micah today for me here in just a few minutes. If you'd like for him to substitute for one of your children, he would be glad to. We are so glad that you're here with us today for a time of worship. If you sent off your children to Kids Praise and We Worship, don't worry. Uh, you can pick them up and take them home. All right, all you have to do is after our Bible class time, which will follow our time in here, uh, just go by their classes and pick them up. If you need any help with that, please see um, anyone at our Connections Center out in the lobby. They'll be glad to help you with that. We have been walking through grace for this entire year. We've been walking through grace in order to come closer to the very heart of God. And we have come to a point this summer as we are looking at this particular study, and we're focusing in not so much on the theological aspects of grace, but just on the where the rubber meets the road parts of this whole story. Because it's great to be able to talk about grace in theological terms, and it's great to understand about your standing with God when it comes to grace. But if that grace does not end up being shared, if that grace does not end up being used daily in our lives, then we are missing out on what is a, a vital plan of God. And so here's what we said last week. We said that grace is not only that which saves you, it is also that by which you live. Because you and I are instruments of grace. We are instruments of grace because we have received grace from God, and it is the expectation then of our Father that we will share that grace with others. We use the verse from 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 10 that says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God has given you His grace so that you might steward it, so that you might care for it, so that you might cultivate it, so that you might be able to share it with those who are with you. And we do so in different ways. And let me tell you, it is a good thing to know that we have grace to give. Because I read this week that 96% of all families have some degree of dysfunction. Now, aren't you glad to know that you're normal out there, right? Some of you dads are looking at your family going, see, I told you, it's normal. Yeah, it's normal the things that go on in our family. It's normal the things that, that takes place. John Bradshaw is a family dynamics expert and family systems therapy advocate. And he cites this research that says 96% of families have some degree of dysfunction, and that means the system the system that the families are in, for whatever reason, the family interacts in distorted ways. Oftentimes it's caused by addictions, it can be caused by compulsions that are out of control, so that the individual family members do not react to each other in ways that are healthy, and it just forms a, a very unhealthy family dynamic. And then you have to come to church and sit with each other, and you have to smile. And how many of you said, kids, it's Father's Day. Act like you love me, right? You brought them all in. 
line them up on the pew. But we laugh, and yet it's so true. Because there's so many different areas, so many different, so many different levels within our family dynamics that are just very difficult. And we don't always want to share those, and we don't want to, to show them. And we want people to think that everything is great within our family system, that we somehow are the 4%. That, that's, the, that's the picture that we put off to everybody else. Now, to our own family, we just look and say, see, the preacher said we're normal. But to everybody else, we say, we're the 4%. Give me one of those foam fingers. We are number one. While in reality, it's like we're crammed in a jammed elevator. Now, how many of you guys, how many of you guys are just weird and you talk to people in elevators? Any of those people in here? We've got just a few. How many of you do not like to be with the weird ones that are here this morning? Let, let, let's see your hand there. There you go. All right. You get, in a, you get in an elevator, and there are all these people in there, and there's always that one guy or gal that's like, so what floor are you going to? What are you doing? Why are you here? Who's your doctor? Well, where are you from? My kids wear purple. I mean, why, why are those people allowed to be on the elevator with you, Right? You're like, let me off. You're going to the fifth floor. You get off on number two. You're like, I'll walk the stairs. It's a great day to exercise. Just get me away from that nut job. And some of the kids are going, that's dad. But it's like we're crammed in this jammed elevator. And the people in the elevator with us are our family. And we can't get off early. We can't get away from them. Because we always see them again. Every time the door opens, family reunion, there they are. Christmas, there they are. Thanksgiving, there they are. Weddings, there they are. Funeral, oh, they're not the ones that died. There they are. You know, I mean, we, we cannot get away from these individuals. And the dysfunction just seems to take over. And so it leaves us sorting out some very tough questions. I saw someone ask, why does life get so relatively difficult? Good question. You know, we expect our families to be sensitive to our needs. We expect all those hints for a Father's Day grill to be taken in and, and then acted upon. We expect when we're hurt physically, we want our family to respond when we struggle Emotionally, we want the family to know. But sometimes they act like they don't know. And let's just be honest, sometimes our families act like they don't care. In her book, Irregular People, Joyce Lanford tells of a woman in her 30s who learned that she needed a mastectomy. She did not have the best relationship with her mom, but she went to lunch with her mother wanting to tell her about what was going on with her medically. And so she revealed the news. She said, Mom, I just need to tell you that I'm going to have to have a mastectomy and the mother was silent. The daughter asked her if she heard. The mother nodded her head, and then she calmly dismissed the subject by saying, you know, your sister has the best enchilada recipe. What do you do when those who are the closest to you keep their distance? What do you do when you can't get along with others and the ones that you can't get along with are those that are your kin. And then you realize that 
The majority of people in the world get along with hundreds of other people just fine. Why can't you get along with, why can't you get along with your aunt? Why does it seem like you're always fighting with your brothers and sisters? And so we're going to ask the question today. Does Jesus have anything to say about this? Is there anything in Scripture about difficulty when it comes to dealing with family dynamics? Is there any example of Jesus bringing peace to a painful family? And the answer is yes, his own. You might not realize this, but Jesus had a difficult family. Maybe you didn't even know Jesus had a family at all, but it's true. Mark was writing, quoting Jesus' hometown critics. And he said, Jesus is just the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters are here with us. Jesus had brothers and sisters. He had an earthly mother and father. And he had difficulty in relating to those individuals. There were times when things were not perfect. There were times when there was pride. There was times when there were egos involved. There was times when love was not present. And if your family doesn't appreciate you, take heart in the fact that near the Jesus family. It was Jesus who said a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and with his own people and in his own home. I wonder how it must have felt for him to say those last five words. He went to the synagogue one day to speak. It was the hometown boy done good. He was welcomed in and they gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He stood up to read. He talked about how that the very breath and spirit of God was upon him and all the wonderful things that God was going to do through him. And then when he finished, he handed the scroll back to the attendant who was in charge. And all eyes were on him. And the response was, Hey, we know your dad. <laughs> You're Joseph's kid, right? You're that carpenter's son. Have there been those times in your life when, when people have judged you because of the family that you come from? Have you had those moments when people have sized you up all because of the last name that you carry? Have they gone ahead and made a decision on how you are going to act and the person that you're going to be all because of who your mom was or what your dad did or the way your brother acted in school, right? You know what it means to have people judge you by your family. And that's what went on here. I said, look, we know who you are. You're just the carpenter's kid. God doesn't speak to familiar people. At least that's what they thought. One minute he was the hero, the next he was the heretic. And so they got up and they forced Jesus out of the synagogue and they began to push him out of town all the way to a cliff. They planned to throw him off, but the scripture says that Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. It was a very ugly moment in Jesus' neighborhood when his friends tried to kill him. But there's something that's missing from this particular story that maybe you would expect to see. Perhaps you would expect it that when it says that Jesus was forced out of the synagogue, taken to the cliff, the people were going to throw him over, but Jesus' family came and stepped into the rescue. But it's not, it's not there. They're invisible, at least in this particular instance in his life. But they weren't always invisible. There was a time when they did speak up. There was a time when they were seen in public. Jesus had gone to a home and he was teaching and the crowds were growing 
and his family came. And in Mark 3 and verse 21, it says that his family went to get him because they thought he was out of his mind. Jesus' siblings thought that he was crazy. They thought he was a lunatic. They weren't proud of him. They were embarrassed by him. He's off the deep end, mom. We got to go get him. There he goes again. He's up to it again. Everybody's listening to him. He's such an embarrassment. Hurtful words are often spoken by those who are closest to us. You know, strangers can say things about you and it doesn't really bother you. But let your brother say something, even if the two of you have not been that close for a while. And that knife just gets put in deeper. A critical word from your mother, from your father, from an uncle, from an aunt, from someone who is close within your family stays with you much longer than just the opinion of the boss that you had or the guy that you were on the ball team with. I said he's crazy. Here's some more words. Jesus' brothers said to him, you should leave here and go to Judea so your followers there can see the miracles that you do. Anyone who wants to be well known does not hide what he does. If you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then John adds the caveat, even Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. Listen to the sarcasm. Why don't you go to Judea? All your followers there want to see what you're doing. Go ahead. Go pull a rabbit out of a hat. Do some cool little card trick. Do something that will get people talking because everybody wants to see the prophet. I mean, how did Jesus put up with these guys? Maybe I should ask you this. How can you believe in yourself when those who know you best don't? How can you move forward when your family wants to pull you back? And when you and your family have two different agendas, what, what do you do? Is there any grace for the real world for your family? Well, let's take some ideas from Jesus. Here's the first thing. If you've been writing down, I encourage you to continue on the front of your glory, praise, and honor. It's worth noting that Jesus did not try to control his family's behavior. Nor did he let their behavior control his. Jesus didn't go and demand that his family agree with him. He didn't sulk and he didn't go and insult them just because they had insulted him. He didn't make it his mission to try to please them. He didn't go around saying, okay, if you just give me one more try and, and here, let me, let me say it this way so that maybe you'll take it better. You know, some of you have the have the fantasy that your family is going to be just like the Waltons. Now, I know I just lost a whole generation over here. But there are some of you who remember, good night, John Boy, and good night, Ellen and Mary and all, you know, everybody, right? And some of us just have this feeling that family is just going to be like the Waltons. And there's a whole other generation here that says, no, family is just like the Simpsons. That's what the family is like. that we think that everything's just going to be fine, that our dearest friend is going to be our next of kin. But Jesus didn't have that expectation. Look how he defined his family in Mark chapter 3. He said, my true brother and sister and mother are those who do what God wants. 
When Jesus' brothers didn't share his convictions, he didn't try to force them. He recognized that his spiritual family could provide what his physical family did not. And if Jesus wasn't willing to force his family to share his convictions, what makes you think that you can force yours? We cannot control how our family responds to us. And dads, I know you wish you could. I know you wish that your sons, your daughters would share your convictions. (laughs) You just wish they would share your like in music, right? But it doesn't work that way. We have to move beyond the naive expectation that if we do good, that people will treat us right. The fact is they may, the fact is they may not, but we cannot control how our family responds to us. If your dad's a jerk, you could be the world's best daughter, and he still won't tell you that. If your aunt doesn't like your career, you could change a dozen times, and she could still find some way to criticize you. If your sister is always complaining about what you got and what she did not, you could give her everything, and it still won't change her opinion that you are mom and daddy's favorite. But hear this. As long as you think that you can control people's behavior toward you, you are enslaved to their opinions of you. As long as you think you can change their mind, as long as you think that you can control how they are going to act around you, you will always be enslaved to their opinion of you. Always trying to do something different. Always trying to make amends. Always trying to make things right. Thinking that if you were to make that phone call, if you were to go to that event, if you were to take that gift, that everything will be better. But if you think you can control their opinion and their opinion isn't positive, then guess what? You just have yourself to blame. It's a game that with unfair rules and fatal finishes. And Jesus refused to play it. And neither should you. Now, I can't assure you that your family will ever give you the blessing that you seek. But I do know this. God will. God will give you what your family does not. And maybe that's the most important thing that you can hear while you're here this morning. As we come in on a day when we're thinking about families and we think about the relationships and and then we're reminded that you're right, you know, families are dysfunctional and there are difficulties and there are problems and there are pains. And maybe, maybe you have been out there today and you've been trying over and over to make things right and you've been the peacemaker and you've been the one that tries to bring everybody together and you say, no matter what I do, I just never feel like I'm receiving what it is I want. Then will you go to God with your desires? If your earthly family doesn't affirm you, then will you let your heavenly Father take their place? Say, how do you do that? Well, it's by accepting God as your Father. You see, it's one thing to accept Him as Lord. It's another to recognize Him as Savior. But it's entirely different to recognize Him as Father. To recognize God as the supreme Lord means that He's sovereign and supreme in the universe. To accept Him as Savior means that your salvation, you trust in His grace, you trust in His mercy that was offered on the cross. But to regard Him as a Father is to go a step further. You see, ideally, a Father is one in your life who provides and protects. 
And that is what so many of you have seen in your own earthly father. And it's exactly what God has done. Many of you have had fathers who have modeled the Heavenly Father's traits. He's provided for your needs. He has protected you from harm. Some of you, even like God, have been adopted by your earthly father. And he has given you his name. Men who have strived to live out the examples of the Heavenly Father have impacted so many throughout time and have impacted so many who are sitting in this room right here this morning. Many of you are here today and have the faith that you have because the Father in your life had that very faith and modeled what it meant to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. You had a faithful Father. And even in the midst of all the different dysfunction, there was a rock that you have been able to look at through the years that have gone by and you knew where you could always turn to when things were difficult. And I thank God for those men whom He has placed into our life who have lived as an example in that way. I'm thankful for my own father and for the values that I have learned from him and for the way in which just the other day as I was at the hospital and a nurse came in and my father introduced me to him and the nurse said, well, you can't deny him talking about the way in which we looked. But I prefer to think of it more as the way in which I live as I have tried to model my steps after the steps that I've seen in my own dad. So you look at your own family and you see different ways that you wish things were different. And you wish that your family would give you the acceptance. You wish that they would give you the, the love. Maybe what you need to do this morning is turn to a heavenly father who says, I will provide what others will not. And it falls on you to be his trusting child. To allow him to fill the void that others have left. To rely on him for the affirmation and encouragement. Consider the Apostle Paul's words when he wrote to the Christians in Galatia. He said, you're God's child. And God will give you the blessing he promised. Because you are his child. You see, having your family's approval is desirable, but it's not necessary for your happiness. And it's not always possible. The good thing is Jesus did not let the difficult dynamic that he faced in his family overshadow his call from God. And because he didn't, the lesson that we're looking at this morning actually has a happy ending. You ever wonder what happened to Jesus' family? What happened to them in the end? We'll look at a text that often is overlooked in the book of Acts chapter 1. After Jesus had died and risen, after he had ascended, it says the disciples went back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and they all continued praying together with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. Man, what a change. Those that we earlier saw mocking him, now worshiping him. The ones who pitied him, now are praying to him. What if Jesus had disowned them? What if Jesus had said, you know what? I'm just going to suffocate my family and demand that they change. 
I wonder if he would have gotten the same result. Instead, he gave them space, time, and grace. And can I encourage you to do the same today to your family? Space. Maybe you just need to, to back off just a little bit. Maybe you need to go let them spend some time sulking in the room. Maybe you don't need to go to that next family gathering. Maybe you need to give them some time. They've heard you. Oh, have they heard you. Over and over and over again, they've heard you. So why don't you wait? Allow God to work on their heart and give a little grace. Because aren't you glad that your Father has given grace to you? Talk about a dysfunctional family. You read through Scripture and you see individuals that time and again would say they believed in God and then turned away. You look around this room this morning, and it's filled with God's dysfunctional family. Men and women who continue to struggle with sin. Men and women who continue to withhold forgiveness. Men and women who continue to go in the opposite direction that God would have them go. And yet the Father's grace is present and abundant. Aren't you glad that your Father has given you space in time and grace. Maybe that's what you need to give to your family today. For Jesus, it changed everything. One brother became an apostle, others became missionaries. So don't lose heart. God still changes families, and He can still change yours. You know, maybe you've been sitting in here this morning, and you've been thinking, wow, this message, and this message has been sent right to my family. Or maybe you're a dad who's here this morning saying, you know, that didn't have anything to do with us. Well, the rest of your family thinks so. It's great to be able to sit in here with our fathers. It's great to be with our moms. It's great to be with our grandparents. But more than anything else, it is great to be able to come and worship our Father. And to be reminded through his holy scripture that our families are not crazy. Our families are not hopeless. Our family situations are not abnormal. Our family situations are what they are. And that his grace is still sufficient even in your home. Does your family need prayers this morning? Do you need to come saying, you know what, I need to lead my family closer to God, and I want to start by being baptized into Christ. Do you need to come today saying, you know what, I just got to be honest. I'm not giving the space, I'm not giving the time, and I'm surely not giving grace to those within my family, and I want that to change. We have leaders here in our congregation. We refer to them as being elders or shepherds, using terms that we find in the New Testament, and they're just spiritual leaders who are here. They themselves are fathers. They themselves are sons. They know what it means to deal with difficult family situations. 
And a couple of them will be here in the front. There will be someone also in the back in our prayer room. And if you, as an individual, as a family, would like to speak with them and would like to have them pray for you, then we encourage you to come and make that known as together we stand and worship our good, good Father.